Good morning. How are you? Good. I imagine uh, everyone here, pretty much everyone here, has had a first job experience in their life, or you've been new to a job because you've had different jobs. Uh, when I was in college, I uh, had a, like a winter off, and I did. Um, I, I worked at a, a restaurant called Crab Apples Restaurant in uh, in Massachusetts in Sturbridge, and they have a sister restaurant on the same property called Public House. It's that's kind of famous, but. Anyway, I'm working at the one, and so it's like my first day, and they're like, okay, what you need to do is go over to the public house. They make all the bread. That's where they bake everything that needs to be done. I need you to go over there, get the bread, and come back, and when you do, bring them this can of donut holes. And he gives me this giant can that feels like nothing is in it, right? So I take the can, and I go on over there, and I'm like, now I had to find my way over. I had to find my way through the restaurant, the public house get to the kitchen. I finally get in there and I'm like, hey, uh, I'm here to pick up, you know, the, the bread for the for the for crab apples. And they're like, OK. And then I'm like, hey, um, and here's this can of donut holes. And then the guy's like, what? Donut holes? And they're like, yeah. Anyone order the donut holes? Anyone want the donut holes? And they're like, you donut hole. There's no more thing as a donut hole. They're like, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, I knew that. I knew that. You know, they were playing this big joke on me, right? And so I'm like ready to leave. And then the chef's like, hey, kid, give me that, give me that can. I'm going to play that on somebody else. So he keeps it, you know? And I go back and they're like, so what happened? Did you give him the can of donut holes? I'm like, leave me alone, right? Does that what happens? Like sometimes when you go to a new job, they either play pranks on you or they try to get you to think that your job description includes like taking out the trash and cleaning the toilets, right? They're like, oh, yeah, you're supposed to do that. And you're supposed to bring breakfast on Friday, too. You know, that's what happens. And it's not just that when you go to a new job, you're learning all the new disciplines. You're learning the new uh, procedures. You're learning stuff about how to do your job. And it's like this growing process, right? All of us have been there. We've tried a new job and we've tried and we see that it's a growing process. And uh, anything that we do is like that. You have these setbacks and failures and sometimes it goes good, sometimes it goes bad. When I was also about that same time, uh, a friend of mine asked me to join a billiards uh, league, you know, like playing pool, shooting pool. So I said, no, nah, I don't even want to do that. I'm not into that as much. And he goes, yeah, but it's just a lot of fun. It's a bunch of friends, guys. We're just hanging out. And I'm like, oh, okay, if that's it, I'll go do it. So I joined, and then I found out they're serious. They, like, want to win. And I'm like, come on. So I had to practice. So I just started practicing because I made the commitment. So now on two nights a week, I'm out practicing, playing pool, and then I'm playing one night. You know, and it's costing me money. It's costing me time. It's costing, costing me effort. But I got pretty good at pool, you know. I, I would say I was above average. And, like, so if I ever went out with my friends and just played pool with them, I would really cremate them. I'd clean up the table with them. I'm pretty rusty now, but like I would play and then people would like not want to play with me sometimes. And so especially if you're like going out on a date with somebody, you don't want to intimidate them, do you? You don't want to like dominate them and make them feel bad. So I would be like, let's play pool. And they would know that I was good. So then they would say, well, I don't know. I'm not that good at pool. And I said, listen, let me tell you something. No, everybody on this planet who picked up a pool cue for the first time and played pool was not good at it. They had to learn to be good. And that kind of made them feel good, like, okay, yeah, I don't have to be good. It's my first time or whatever. So they would play. But I said, listen, if you want to be good, if you want to learn to play, well, you've got to put in effort. You've got to put in the time. You've got to put in the money. It's going to cost you something if you want to be good. Because all learning processes are, aren't they? It costs us something. That's what growth does for us. 
And it's similar when it comes to our spiritual growth. I mean, yeah, we have these certain growth spurts, right, in life uh, spiritually. We get a little bit better and we have our setbacks. Sometimes just when we think we've mastered something spiritually, then what happens? We go and blow it, right? Or we're going along in our normal life trying to grow spiritually, and then suddenly we realize there's something in our life that needs to be addressed, and we never knew it before. We were like blind to it. And it's like, man, just when I was getting excited about my life, now, man, I, I just realized I have a lot farther to go. I look at the, 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 uh, the characters from the Bible, not the characters, the people from the Bible, and I think of these guys, and I'm like, wow, these guys, they really had it together, right? I mean, take a look at the Apostle Paul. He wrote like half the New Testament. That guy like penned all these letters, he did all this stuff. He was traveling around like Asia Minor and Europe and, and the Middle East, and he's planting churches every single place he went, and he's like appointing these pastors. I'm like, this guy's got to be good, right? He's got to have it down. He was performing miracles. Paul's got to have it, right? And yet Paul, interestingly enough, would write these very words. It's in your outline and it will be on your screen. He says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ first possessed me. Wow. Paul says, you know what? I'm not perfect. I'm far from it. I'm still trying. And I'm thinking, well... If he's still growing, you know, this guy's up here and I'm down here. Like, what about, what, what about me? Right? Paul would tell us, you and me, that our lives are lives of transfer, uh, trans, excuse me, transportation, transformation, transformation. And that's what the series we're in is really all about. It's called Inside Out. And the tagline says, uh, I forgot the tagline, transforming, transformation has to start someplace. It's about transformation. Transformation has to start inside, mentally and from the heart, inside of us. And then it comes and affects the outside. That's what he's saying. And we're in the book of Romans right now in chapter 8. So you can turn, turn there and get ahead if you want. But Paul is saying that the goal for you and me, and what this series is all about, what the book of Romans is telling us all about, is that the goal is about transformation. As Christians, you and I have a mission to fulfill. We have a purpose. And many of you may know this verse. It's uh, in Matthew 28. Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You probably heard that verse because that's called the Great Commission. The Great Commission. Jesus says to the guys, hey, listen, go out into all the nations and make disciples. All the nations, all the world and do this. And see, this is our job. This is our kingdom minded mission for our lives is to affect the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, to tell them who he is. But God also has a very personal goal for you and me. And this personal goal is about your transformation. Our purpose is to change the world. God's purpose is to change you. And this means that you and I are actually supposed to be something other than what we are now. In Romans 8, Paul is going to give us a glimpse of that. And this is pretty interesting. He's saying that the whole world knows that we're supposed to change. Listen to this in verse 18. Read it with me if you will. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. 
For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now. Paul is saying that there is a glory yet to be revealed in us through this verse. He says, and it's far greater than the suffering of this present age. That's how awesome this glory is going to be. And if there's something yet to be revealed in you and I, then it means that we haven't arrived yet, right? So simply put, it's in your outline, fill it out. I am not done growing yet. I'm not done growing yet. There's still more to go. And he says this, the creation is earnestly waiting for our revealing. Anybody here know Alex Miranda and Stephanie? He's, they just got married for you guys over here. And you, maybe you went to the wedding. They had an gr- awesome wedding, not sat last yesterday, but the Saturday before, down in Coral Gables. It was an awesome wedding. And then they had the reception at Club Mansion on South Beach. So, you know, that was pretty cool. They transformed the whole place. The worship band was there, and they play, pr- played. And it was really cool. It was a great place. And I'm not a clubber, so me being in a club in South Beach is a little unusual. You know, people were there, and they're like, should Pastor John be dancing to Pitbull right now? You know, they're like, does Pastor Bob know you're there? <laughs> but the, the wedding itself was incredible. I mean, he had, he had ten bridesmaids and ten groomsmen. I mean, that's a lot. I counted them. I'm like, wow, this is big. Because my wife and I, we had nobody. It was just her and I in Mexico. So I'm like, wow, this is pretty big. You know, and the whole time, it took a long time for them all to come in. And we're all waiting and watching the people come down and looking how beautiful they are. But we're all getting on the edge of our seat as more of them are coming down. Why? Because we are in this moment of anticipation. This moment of anticipation like none other in the whole night is we're waiting for Stephanie to step through that door and see that beautiful bride in her dress and see how gorgeous she is, right? We're all waiting on the edge of our seats for that moment. And Paul's saying, like, creation right now is in the same position. They're anticipating. They're on the edge of their seat, and they're waiting for the revealing of you. Creation is waiting for the revealing of us and what we are going to be. But it also says during this waiting time that creation is groaning. It's groaning in pain. Why? Because you guys are going to look awful when we're glorified? No. It's not like, oh, I don't want to get there. That's why I'm groaning. I don't want to be, I don't want to see this. I don't want to see what's going on. No. It's because of the condition that it's in. You see, the world is not what it's supposed to be. The world was supposed to be perfect. It was. And in fact, at one point it was. God made it good, and he said that in Genesis. He declared it good. It was perfect. It was a place without disease. It was a place without death. It was a place without chaos. But God cursed the earth. Why? Because it was bad? It was bad, so he cursed it? No. Because of man's sin. It was a punishment for us, for men. But it was a punishment, I want you to understand, for a purpose. You see, we often look on life in the world and we see its decay. We see its natural disasters and the corruption and destruction that's made by man. And we forget this one thing, that this is a temporary place. This earth, this place that we live in is only temporary. This, there is an incredible place beyond this in eternity. And here's the thing. God doesn't want you and I to love this place more than that place. God's saying, look, it's corrupted so that you won't want to be here. 
It's not so bad that you can't live and exist. But I don't want you, or I do want you, to long for something else. Doesn't it at times, like we're in this earth and we we experience all these things and we're like, there's got to be a better place. There's got to be a time where things are going to be better. I'm looking forward to something else. And that's on design. God doesn't want you loving this place. He doesn't want you saying, you know what, God, you're good up there. I'm great right here. Let's just keep it like this. Because God wants to spend eternity with you. And he says, listen, I want your mind to be set somewhere else than on this place right here. Because one day it will be transformed, but not today. God doesn't want you to settle for what's here. He wants you to long for something greater. So when we see the imperfections of this world, we know that it's not what it's supposed to be. That's what happens in our hearts. And the world through its tragedy, difficulty, and futility is communicating something to you and me. It's telling me that I'm not what I'm supposed to be yet. I mean, isn't what people... I mean, it's telling us something about the character of God sometimes. It's reflected in a statement that goes something like this. You've probably heard it. It would say, how could God allow this? Right? We hear people say that. Whether they know God, they don't know God. How would God allow this? Because what they're trying to say is, my image, the thing inside of me that's telling me that God is a God of love and God cares, isn't lining up with the things that are happening on this earth. Right? It's not working. It's not jibing. And this world is a witness because it is in disarray to the fact that there is something greater beyond here. No, it's not what it's supposed to be. But also, we are not what we're supposed to be yet. And that's what we read in the next verses, 23. Listen, not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even ourselves, grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what, one, what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Our bodies are groaning too. I don't know about you, but my body groaned this morning. It didn't come out of my mouth. My back was telling me. My legs, my joints, it was telling me. It was groaning. It's like, this isn't right. The idea is that we were meant for something greater isn't all of us. Like, this can't be it. Did you ever wonder as a child what was going to happen when you grew up? Did you ever? I brought a couple pictures today. I used to think about that. Here's a picture of me when I was young. Thank you. Thank you. I had to solicit that from the first service, okay? That's me when I was young. I don't know, maybe two, I guess. I don't know. And look at my hair straight. Obviously, I don't have straight. Well, it looks straighter when it's short. But I had straight hair. It stayed that way for a long time. It was lighter. I was, that was cute. That was all right, kid. And right here, like, what's amazing when you're that young, you grow very quickly, right? You see it in, like, just a matter of years. The kid grows so rapidly, you know? And so I'm sure my parents looking on are thinking, what is this guy going to look like, right? Well, let's fast forward a couple years here. This is about when I'm seven. There I am. And now I'm starting to wonder what I'm going to be like. I'm thinking here, like, am I still going to be this fashionable when I get older? I got the turtleneck. I got the cool pants. I'd love to see those come back someday. <laughs> but seriously, I remember at that age looking into the mirror as a kid and looking at myself and saying, man... I hope I'm going to be handsome when I grow up. Man, I wonder, am I going to be tall? Because I'd like to be tall. You know, am I going to be strong? Am I going to have muscles? Am I going to be smart? Did you guys ever wonder that? When you're a kid, you're looking and say, what am I going to turn out to be? What am I going to look like in the end? 
And so we do that. And all along the way, we keep wondering. And sometimes you get to a stage like this in your life. And you're like, oh, man. And at this stage in my life, I'm wondering, am I going to grow into my lips? Will I have acne all their life? And what the heck is happening to my hair? It was straight. Pedro, get rid of that. Good. Thank you. Listen, we go through good stages in our life and bad. Like at that time, I'm thinking, Lord, please don't let me stop growing right here. Let me keep going just a little bit more. Let's see what happens. Don't give up on me yet. And so about the time I hit 23, I'm like, okay, I'm done growing. I've arrived, right? You're finally like, there, this is it. And so that's what happens. We get to a certain age of adulthood and we say, yeah, yeah, I've arrived. This is it. At least that's what we think, right? I'm done growing. But today, do you know you and I are still growing? No matter how old you are, no matter how experienced you are, you're still growing. God is growing us into something. But what, right? Just like these pictures that we're looking at, we're like thinking all along the way, what am I growing into? Well, what are we growing into? What are you and I growing into? What are we becoming? Listen to what he says. Paul tells us in verse 29, listen. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, when he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Paul's saying right there, you are being transformed. Fill it in in your outline. I am being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. That's what I'm being transformed into. You and me. Apostle Paul, John writes something very similar. It says this, beloved Now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, Jesus. For we shall see him as he is, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. We will be like Jesus. And I suppose we think, like, yeah, someday I'm going to be like Jesus, right? I mean, we think, like, aren't we supposed to become like angels or something, and like little spirits or being on a cloud? Like, we think, you know, that's going to happen. Someday, right? And it's true, though. You are going to get a new body. Physically, you're going to get a body that will change. Your body will not be the same one you're living in. One day, you'll be free from this body and all of its restrictions. From the, free, from the wrinkles, from the pain, from the disease, from the aging, all those things, you'll be free from them. You know, I tried to teach my wife how to jump. You know, and I say, honey, you've got to bend at the knees like this. You've got to bend at the knees. And my wife... She gets, she doesn't get vertical. She gets horizontal. I don't know. She, when she jumps, she goes, and her legs kind of go out like that. And I'm like, honey, you got to learn how to jump. Let me show you. But listen, when she gets her new body, my wife's going to be able to jump. And I'm looking forward to that day. Listen, I'm looking forward to the fact that I can eat whatever I want and nothing's going to happen anymore. All these things that we're looking forward to that are not going to be affected by what our body is doing. And so there is a new body waiting for you and me. And this is what it says in Philippians, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it might be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able to even uh, subdue all things to himself. Also, in 1 Corinthians 15, you can read basically the whole chapter, tells us that we're going to receive an incorruptible body. This body is impervious to the desires that our body has. We won't thirst. We won't be hungry. We won't lust. 
We won't be tired. We won't have fatigue. It's also impervious to disease and decay. And we'll be able to do things that we just can't do in this body. And I don't even know the full extent of the things that we're going to be able to do. But I think about that, and maybe you think it's like someday, yes, right? Yes, I can't wait someday, someday, whenever that day comes, right? But what about today? What about right now? There are three theological terms that I want you guys to write down. Not in your outline, but I want you to write them down. We're going to learn these today. And these are the three. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. Now, justification is what we've been talking about basically for the last six chapters, first six chapters of Romans. And basically, Paul sets up this whole idea and he says, listen, you, the Bible tells us that everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so before God, every one of us is unrighteous. We have no righteousness standing before God, and there's no reason that he should want us. But he says that God sent his son Jesus to die on a cross to pay for the penalty of our sin. And in doing that, paying our penalty, he was able to then declare you and me righteous. And so justification is the act by which God declares us righteous. He says, you're righteous now. And he sets us free from the penalty of sin, because the penalty of sin has been paid by Jesus. And if you'd been here for those first you know, six chapters, you may have heard Bob put it this way in a certain saying. He says, justified can be thought of justified, never sinned. That's how God sees you and me. Justified, never sinned. You see, when he looks at me now and he looks at you, he doesn't see John and my filthiness, my filthy righteousness. When he looks at me, he sees the righteousness of his son, Jesus. That's what happens when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you say, God, I give up trying to do it my way. I'm following after you. And so when that happens, God says, now I've just given you the righteousness of my son. That's what justification is. Now, let's skip to the glorification, the third one. And we've kind of been talking about that. And that is the redemption of your body from this world. You're going to be glorified. You're going to be giving a new body and you're going to share in the inheritance of Jesus Christ. And glorification marks the perfection of our salvation. When we are completely set free from the influences of sin, free from sin in our surroundings, free from sin and its effect upon us and in us. And we're going to be in this new body, an uncorruptible body. Okay, so if that's justification over here and glorification over here, then right smack dab in the middle is sanctification. Sanctification. Now, since all of you have not experienced glorification, and if you think you have, I would say you got ripped off. But if you think you are, none of us have. None of us have been glorified yet. But many of us here have been justified. Because we accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and he's accounted it to us as righteousness. So we're right in the middle of this thing called sanctification, you, me. And sanctification is this. It's God working in the believer to produce a more godly character. He's transforming you and I spiritually, not bodily, but spiritually we're being transformed. This word means that we are becoming more holy. And holy simply means set apart. Holy means set apart. Set apart from sin. Set apart from the world. This is a process that is happening in you and I because we are becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. That's what he's doing. Jesus Christ was like the perfection of everything. And unlike the physical transformation, this doesn't happen in a blink of an eye. 
The Bible says we'll be transformed in a blink of an eye to a new body, but this sanctification is a process that's ongoing. It's stumbling and falling and learning. It's growing up. You and me growing into something different. Spiritually, we are coming more and more like Christ. This is what it says in 2 Corinthians. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. He says, you're slowly getting better from glory to one glory to the next glory to the next glory until finally one day we're going to be glorified. But there should be this forward progress, right? At least there should be the forward progress, as the scripture tells us there. And this is something I think we really need to understand because it's so easy to forget is that your purpose, your growing right now is to become more and more like Jesus Christ. Here's the thing. It's easy to forget that. You know why? Because most of the time, Jesus isn't always on my mind. The world is on my mind. The world so easily gets in the way. How am I going to get to work? You know, what am I going to eat tonight? You know, what's going on with my family? You know, did I get this assignment completed? We've got all these things that are in our forefront of our minds, and sometimes Jesus isn't there. So how do we become more like Jesus? Right? How do we do this if this is such a competition in our hearts? Well, let me tell you in your outline, how do you become more like Jesus? One, through circumstances in my life. Through circumstances in my life. And just like any training field or air arena of life where you are learning, God is using circumstances to change us. And it's funny, but usually the failures and difficult times are the ones that have the greatest potential to change us, don't they? Listen to what... Paul says here, therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, your body is dying, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is uh, but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. He's like, there's these afflictions in your life, and it's not easy, but these circumstances in your life are working in you to make a far more greater weight of glory in you later. We often dread it, but it's true. How many, pers- how many here has ever pay- prayed for patience? You know? And maybe you heard it said, you pray for patience. You know what happens, right? You're thinking, oh, God's just going to give me patience. No, God gives you an ordeal where you have to deal with patience so that you get better at it, right? I mean, I try to sneak around and I'm like, Lord, teach me patience before I have to learn it the hard way. You know, but it's like, you know, may I just be patient. And the problem is, We pray for patience so God brings a situation in our lives right in that area that we struggle with so that we're going to grow in that area. The degree of suffering, no matter how severe, is not nearly as bad as the glory is great that we're going to receive. The truth is, God is often also trying to get our attention. You know, like I said, becoming more like Jesus isn't always on our mind. The world is on our mind. So God takes situations of the world where our mind is at to get our attention so that he can then transform us. Often he does it, like I said, in the areas that challenge us most. When I was in high school, um, they offered a calculus class at, for, at the senior level. So when you're a senior in high school, you can get calculus. Now, don't uh, judge me, but I wanted to take calculus. <laughs> I loved math in high school. I don't know why I did. I liked physics and chemistry too. But I was like, man, math I really want to take. And I was eager to take this calculus class 
as a senior in high school. So what I did is I doubled up on math classes because I wasn't structured quite yet. I had transferred schools so that I could double up in, in junior high, take two math classes just so I could get to the calculus class. And I loved it. And I enjoyed doing it. And it wasn't work to me. And, but here's the thing. There were other areas of school that I didn't like so much. I, uh, for instance, history. Now, history, it was the first C I had ever gotten in high school. And some of you are like, C? That's it? I got Fs, you know, but it was a C because I didn't like history and I didn't like English and I didn't do that well in them. And I was like, why do I have to do history? What does this mean? What am I going to be when I grow up? Do I need this stuff? You know, do I really need this in my life? Do I really need to know how to write? You know, I was like, I didn't want to take those classes because they were hard. And I was challenged in those areas. And sometimes I think we feel the weight of something in our life because we just remember the ones that are more challenging in the areas that we need to grow in. Because the areas that you're fully grown in, you're like, well, good Lord, why can't you just challenge me in that area? Because I got that one covered, right? Well, I'd rather, what if I couldn't have been that? You ever watch Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom? No, not the Temple of Doom, the Raiders of the Lost Ark. If you've seen that movie, granted, it's a great movie anyway, it's a classic. But he's trying to get to the ark and they uncover the city and he's on top of the temple looking down and they remove their stone and they look down into it and they're like, wow, they're going to have to get in there. And they're like, the floor looks like it's moving. And, he, and so they're like, yeah, I think so. Give me your torch. And he takes the torch and he drops it and it falls down. And then the bottom of the floor is covered with snakes, covered with snakes. And, the, and Indiana Jones rolls over and he looks up at the sky and he goes, why did it have to be snakes? You know, he's like, God, the, the one thing in this movie, he does all this stuff. I mean, he's got tarantulas on him. He he like all these, you know, um, natives are trying to kill him. He does all these adventurous things. And he's like this one thing. Why did it have to be snakes? And it's like that in our life. Sometimes God brings these most challenging things in our lives. And we're sitting there going, why did it have to be that? And God's saying, because I needed you to grow in this area. Sometimes I think we ask, like, the wrong question. We ask the question, what are you doing? You know? Lord, why is this happening to me? Right? Why is this happening? I mean, was it, was it, sometimes it's like because sinful people, we feel the effects of that. Sometimes it's because we have a fallen world and we're feeling the effects of that. Or sometimes it's maybe a spiritual thing, battle that's happening and we're feeling the effects of that. Or sometimes it's just an accident and something happens that's like not good in our lives or even tragic in our lives. And we say to our God, why is this happening to me? But I think that we're asking the wrong question when that happens. I think that we should be asking a different question. I think we should be asking, Lord, what are you going to do through this circumstance? Right. We're trying to figure out the source of this thing as if if we actually figured out the source of why it's happening, why is this happening to me, that it's going to change it. It's not going to do anything to change our lives. But instead, if we were asked the question, Lord, what is it that you're trying to do through this circumstance in my life? Because. How we are transformed by a situation is the thing that's really going to matter, not where it came from. In Romans 8, here, we're in this verse, we're covering these verses, 8.28. You'll probably recognize this. And I don't think I gave you the right translation that I wanted, but I I have the New Living Translation because I like the way they say it here. But listen to this. And we know that God causes everything to work together for good to those who love God. And most of the time, we just hear that verse, right? You're in a difficult situation and someone comes up to you and they say, you know, well, you know, we know that God's working everything together for good. And I like that 
When Bob asked me to teach on it, I'm like, Bob, you know, I'm teaching this area. And he's like, well, teach on that verse. Talk about it. And I go, Bob, I don't know if I like that verse. I'm like, <laughs> because sometimes I feel like it's a platitude. We just say it. It's, like a, it's an empty saying that you say to someone to try to make them feel good, but it really has nothing to do. You know, you can't change them. So sometimes you just say that. But here's what the rest of the verse says, especially in the New Living. It says, the, uh, let me just read it again. And we know that uh, God causes everything to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. You see, he's causing the good in your life for his purpose in you. Sometimes we think, oh, the good's going to change the situation to something that I like. And I don't know, maybe it will. But God's saying, no, the more important thing right now is that I'm doing something through that circumstance for your good. No matter where it came from, God is able to transform it into something that is beneficial to you and your growth in becoming more like him. And that's what he's saying. God saves us from something beyond what we can see now, something beyond this age. No matter what comes into your life, whether it's from God or for somebody else or for some other source, God promises to use it for your good for an eternal purpose. And that's what's going to matter in the end. God is constantly using circumstances to change us so that we will become more like him. Listen, one is through circumstances in your life, but second, he's transforming you through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is sent by God to help us grow. He helps us to learn about God. He helps us to know about God. He even communicates for God through us sometimes and in our hearts and in our minds and leads us. The night before Jesus went to the cross, he was praying for his disciples. And, you know, he was going away and they were leaning on him and relying on him for them to give them their strength and to give them their direction and to teach them. And this is what he says when he leaves. He says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. He says, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send him back and he's going to teach you all things and he's going to lead you and he's going to grow you. There's a supernatural work in every Christian's life, and it's called the Holy Spirit working in us. And it's transforming you and me. Because, seriously, the task of becoming like Jesus is pretty daunting, isn't it? I mean, come on, this guy is perfect. Literally. I mean, I think about, like, when he was in, uh, you know, some of the stories. Like, he'd spend a day, and he'd feed 5,000 people with two loaves of bread, right? Five loaves and two fish. And then... He would minister to them all and pray for them all. Then he would send them all away. And then he would say, disciples, go across the Galilee and I'll meet you over there. And then he must have been exhausted. But then he goes up to the top of a mountaintop and prays. I'm like, as much as I'd like to be that perfect and that good, God, I can't do that. I don't think I can do that. I would love to be that, but I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't think I could. I don't know if you could. I would be thinking, man, is it 10 o'clock yet? I need to get some rest. I would be because I'm not I'm not him. So how is that going to happen for you and me? I mean, I don't even know where to start or how to start. But the great thing is the Holy Spirit is going to lead you and me. Let's read in verse 26 here in Romans. I've been chopping this verse up, but follow me if you will. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the, Holy, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. 
You know, it's an interesting thing. I, before Calvary Fellowship, I attended another church and I volunteered there. And um, they asked me to be like a prayer partner after every service. And so what I would do is I'd like stand in the back and then they would say afterward, if you want prayer, there's people on either right or left and you can go pray with them. So I was standing there one day and a guy came up and he was kind of slick. He was in a suit, you know, he's an older gentleman kind of. And he's like kind of nervous and he walks up to me and I'd seen him like maybe once or twice there before. But I knew like he wasn't like a spiritual giant per se. And he starts coming up to me and he's like, "Okay, listen, here's the deal. You know, and he's kind of rubbing his hands. He's like. I have this uh, 2.5 or was it 2.5 million dollar deal that uh, um, that I, I want to go through, and I'm just praying that God will do this, and uh, and I do want you to know that I'm going to tithe on it, and uh, so you're going to get a quarter million dollars at your church, you know, like he was going to influence me to pray harder or something, you know, and I'm like thinking I'm like wow this guy, he, you know, his sole focus is this guy wants to make money, you know, it was very obvious and. Uh, I didn't want to be too judgmental, but at that moment I'm thinking, should I be praying for this guy right now that this deal goes through? Right? I'm like, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to be praying for this guy for. So I said, yeah, sure. I mean, I didn't tell him that. I just said, sure, let me pray for you. And I just prayed that God's will would be done there. Because I didn't know what to pray for. I was like, I'm not sure. Have you ever been in a situation like that where you just don't even know what to pray for? Yeah, I, I mean, I do hospital visits a lot. And sometimes you'll be in a hospital and this person would be very old. And um, they may have uh, been through a lot in their life. And now that they're, they're very infirm, and they've got multiple things going on. And you're sitting there and the family's there and you're thinking, should I be praying right now for healing in this person's life? I mean, maybe they've been infirmed and in sick and in bed for over a year. And you're like, what's God going to do? Heal one or two things and then they're going to have what kind of quality of life? And they're a burden on their family. Like, should I be praying for healing right now? I'm not sure. I mean, I think it's not right for me to pray that they die. I mean, you know, it's like, that's, that's out. That's no. But I'm like, I don't know what to pray for here. I'm not sure. And sometimes that happens too. You ever have a friend? Like, you're always constantly in trouble. You know, they're always doing things wrong. You know, they always have this life that they're struggling in. They haven't really grown up, matured a lot. And now they've gotten themselves, like, in trouble with the law or something, right? And they're in this situation, and you're trying to pray for them because you care for them. Maybe they're a brother, a sister, a family member, who knows, a close friend. And you want to pray for them, right? But you're thinking, should I pray that God delivers them from this situation? Because you know what I think they really need? I think they need to feel the consequences of this. I think they need to fully happen to them so that maybe they'll actually change this time. Right? Anybody been there? And you're like, what should I pray for? Or you're so distraught over something that's going on in your life. Like all you can think of is like, Lord, help me. Help me. That's like all that's working. That's all that's coming out of your mouth. And you don't even know. You're, you're grunting just like it says here. And God says, listen, I'm going to use the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's going to pray for the right thing at the right time in your life. See, the Holy Spirit is working in you and me. And all of us want the Holy Spirit to do a work in us. And I want to give you two things to jot down really quickly. But I want to give you two keys to make that happen. Two keys. Number one, pray for the Holy Spirit in your life. Pray that God would fill you with him and that he would be in your life. Pray for that. Because God said, I sent him to you so that you will be able to grow and you will be able to learn. And then the second thing is, you have to yield to him. Pray for him and then yield to him. A lot of times we hear like that voice of God. We go, no, I know God was telling me to do this. I know I should have, but I didn't. That was the Holy Spirit talking to you, telling you to do that. You're in your heart going, I know it's God. And then we don't do it. We don't yield. 
So not only do you need to pray, but you need to yield. You need to do what the Holy Spirit says. And in this way, God is going to grow you. Because the truth is, we can ignore the Holy Spirit even as a Christian. And just go, you know what, forget it. I keep saying no, I keep saying no. And you're not going to be growing anywhere where our purpose is to become, just like Christ. So number two was through the Holy Spirit. But number three is through my intellectual actions. Or inten- intentional. Intentional actions. Excuse me. Listen, in life, we can't help but grow physically, right? We, I mean, we saw those little pictures. I'm no longer a little baby, a little kid, or any one of those pictures. And I didn't have to think about it, to be honest. I mean, I wondered about it, but I didn't have to intentionally try to grow, right? I didn't go, I'm going to grow now. I'm going to grow a little more, right? I couldn't do that. I can't, like, intentionally try to grow. It happens automatically in my life. It just happens. It's a natural result of you eating, sleeping, and doing your life. You're going to grow physically, but it's not that way when it comes to mentally, right? It's a totally different story. We have to purpose to learn, don't we? I mean, there's some things that you catch, kind of catch, but if you don't purpose to learn something, you will never know how to do it. You have to sit down and actually study it and try to do it. Like, for instance, reading, right? Everyone here spent years trying to read. Maybe some of you were quicker than others, right? It didn't, you didn't just pick up a book and read it. No, you had to learn the alphabet, didn't you? And then after you learned the alphabet, you had to learn the meaning of words. And then after you did that, you had to learn a sentence structure. And then how to put it all together, right? And that took a long, long time. Reading did not just come to you, and it won't just come to you. You have to purpose to do it. And it's the same way spiritually. Spiritually, we have to purpose to grow. If we want to grow more and more like Christ. Listen, we're going to limit ourselves if we're not intentional about our growth. Because a lot of times we're going to just stay on whatever path we're on. If we're just like on this path and we're walking and we're just going to stay on it, that's what's going to happen. If you're not intentionally trying to grow, and especially if you're ignoring the Holy Spirit, God's bringing circumstances to try to do something in your life, you may not grow much at all. I mean, I've known people that have been in churches for 10 years and hardly grown at all. It's true. They come to the church, they come and they go, and they don't do anything else. They're not intentional about anything in their life, about growing spiritually, about other things in their life, perhaps. Listen, growing more like Christ is not just going to happen. Unless you get intentional. And here at Calvary, we try to be very intentional. That's why we tell people that they have a next step. Everyone has a next step. You don't know the Lord, it's, your step is to come and know the Lord. If you just know the Lord, it's to grow more in Him. And if you're, wherever you're at in the, in the uh, spectrum, you're to continue to grow. All of us are continuing to grow. Listen, this is what Paul said. It's, we've read the first verse, I'm not perfected. This is the two verses that come after it. Listen to this in Philippians. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for which the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He's like, you know, I don't even pretend to have apprehended, but this is the one thing I'm doing. I'm pressing forward. I'm pushing forward. I mean, this guy's done amazing things, and yet still in his life, he's pushing harder and harder and intentionally moving forward. And that's what we have to do if you want to grow spiritually. Because that's what God has said. Listen, you're being sanctified right now. Your goal in your life is not to build up as many houses as you can. Or not to have, you know, I don't know, as much money as you can. 
Your goal in life is to become spiritually more and more like Christ so that you will be ready for when you are glorified. Listen, I want to give you a couple next steps. Like I said, we're intentional here. So I want you to pull out your connection card, if you will. Take it and flip it over on the back. Right at the very top, it says growth groups. Growth groups. You know, we are intentional about growth groups, and we offer growth groups because we know you'll also have a catalog in your program, so you can take a look at that. Pull it out for a moment. Growth groups are not just about being part of a club. Yeah, you're going to meet some people there. You're going to, you know, experience other Christians and uh, fellowship, what we call fellowship there. But you know what? We do these because it's an opportunity for you to grow. To not just come back and forth to church, but to say, you know what? I'm going to purpose to study about some spiritual discipline. I'm going to study about some book of the Bible. I'm going to study about what it means to grow spiritually. And I'm going to actually take the time and grow and be purposeful about it. Listen, maybe today your next step is to sign up for one of these. You say, you know what, John? You've told me all this stuff. But, well, here it is. Here's the step. Sign up for one. There's one for almost every night. There's even one that does basketball and soccer. Those guys, they, they, they do a Bible study and then they have some fun. So they're not like painful. So you can enjoy going to one of these groups. What I want to encourage you, if you're saying to yourself, man, I need to grow, then this is what you need to do right now. Sign up for a group. Maybe you're saying to yourself, I've never been baptized. That's another thing on here. It's on the bold on the, on the second bottom left. You've been a Christian for a while. You received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And you're like, yeah, but I still haven't been baptized yet. You know, baptism, I think, is a little bit different today than it was at one time. Back at the time of Jesus, you were basically known for a couple things. Your political affiliation and the the religion that you followed, the God you worshipped. Today, we're not like that. You know, it's a little we try to hide it a little bit because if you're like a certain religion, then you're kind of exclusive. And that's not cool today. But back then, it was like, yeah, whatever... Religion is, that's what you're known by. And so when you joined a religion, one of the rites of passage was to be baptized, even if you wanted to become a Jew. If you wanted to become a Jewish person, you would not only be circumcised and do other things, but you would be baptized. If you wanted to join a pagan religion, you would be baptized. So at the time in the Bible, they would say, Jesus would say, we read it, the Great Commission, he says, go and baptize, right? Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son. Why? Because immediately when they said, yeah, I want that free forgiveness. I want to follow Jesus. I want to do that. Well, then let's be baptized. Let's just do it. That's your mark. Let's go. Follow God. And today it's become a little bit different because we do it from the pulpit and we say, say a prayer and that's good too. But then we just say, well, the baptism part is kind of something when I'm ready. Listen, when, when they would be baptized, we see it in the Bible, it would happen immediately. They would say, yeah, they received Jesus and they were baptized right there. Because that's what it is. So if you're, what I'm saying to you is if you receive Jesus and you said, yeah, he's my Lord and Savior, but you haven't been baptized, I want to say, listen, take the next step. Just go ahead and do it. And why? Why do baptism? Because you're going to grow when people know that you're a, that you're a Christian. Right? Suddenly your life is going to change as people know that. People are going to hold you more accountable. Your family's members are like, yeah, I thought you were a Christian. Is that how a Christian acts? Like, oh, all right. You know, you go to work and they're like, oh, I thought you were a Christian. How many of us have been a Christian, but we're afraid to tell somebody we're a Christian? When I grew up in New England, I was afraid to tell people and have those conversations. Listen, he says, go be baptized and just go be public about it. Do it. And you are going to grow. Listen, there's also serving. Listen, serving other people, you're going to grow. We should be reading our Bibles. We should be praying to God. We should be 
even sharing our faith in evangelism and worshiping God in every opportunity we can. And that's, these are the ways we're going to grow. Listen, most of the time in life, we try to bring our own glory, aren't we? You know, what do I have at the end of my life? We're building up our own glory instead of the glory that God has revealed just beyond that. This amazing glory. And so we, we want to, you know, make ourselves look good. We want to have many toys. We want to do all these things. And we're trying to produce our own glory in vain. And But maybe our life would change. The direction and the path we take would change a little bit if we realized that God's real goal is for us to be sanctified and to transform us into the life of Jesus. Maybe if we realize that our destinies don't lie here on this earth. They don't lie at the end. It lies beyond that. Maybe if we understood that it lies beyond this age, then we would pursue him more fully. Let's pray.